welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hello, this is Anthony Diana here today for another podcast on Tech Law Talks. Today, we're going to be focusing on our M365 and 5 series that's focused on the challenges of e-discovery and SharePoint Online. With me today from Lighthouse is Matt Newington and Justin Marsh, and from Reed Smith, it's Kiriaki Dorcas. Welcome, everybody. Hi. Why don't we start with Matt? You know, SharePoint Online, obviously, people may have a sense, maybe from previous contests, what SharePoint Online is and how it compares to sort of file servers and and the regular SharePoint that was on-prem. But if you could just give a just a high level of what exactly is SharePoint Online? Yeah, so as you said, uh, SharePoint Online uh, kind of builds on uh, the on-premise SharePoint, where you know previously SharePoint was normally considered to be almost like an intranet site. Uh, teams would store their documents there. There'll be a you know there'll be a, a level of collaboration that would be conducted. Whereas SharePoint Online now is it essentially builds upon that, right? So whereas on-prem you'd have the majority of documents stored in network shares. But now as collaboration tools such as Teams and so on come out and more collaboration starts to starts to happen and the behavior of users starts to move more towards tools such as Teams and so on, you'll actually see that the majority of data and documents that are transferred via Teams and so on is actually stored in the background within SharePoint Online. You also have OneDrive, so people's OneDrives, typically on-prem users, when they're storing data, they'll be storing it maybe in their personal share, which will be a network share. That as you moved into M365, we'll move to OneDrive. And of course, OneDrive is essentially in the background, a SharePoint site. Whereas you know, on your machine, you may see a local drive, your local OneDrive or a, or a SharePoint site mapped to your local machine. Again, that will be a SharePoint site in the background. Now, at the same time, not only will you have documents being stored in SharePoint Online, you'll also see artifacts being created as a result of functions and features such as Teams. So elements such as meeting notes, wikis, and so on, they are all in the background stored within SharePoint itself. Yeah, no, and that, and that makes sense. And I think, look, from an e-discovery perspective, which we're focusing on, Matt, it's, it's just really complicated, right? I mean, I think that's one of the things that people are going to have to understand is unlike sort of a file share or something where you're just getting documents, like you said, this is going to be a lot more complicated. There's a lot more things there that you have to keep in mind. And obviously, that's what we're focused on today is like, how does all that stuff that's in SharePoint what does it mean for purposes of e-discovery? So one thing that I, I wanted to raise, which we raised on a previous podcast, is versioning. Could you just explain how versioning works in SharePoint Online? Yeah. So, so versioning in SharePoint Online is enabled by default. So versioning is enabled on document libraries in SharePoint Online and in OneDrive. By default, you have uh, 500 major versions set as the limit which can be moved up or down by the administrator up to 50,000 versions or down to, I believe, 100 or disabled completely. Now, it's worth noting that when versions are being created, so that can be through Teams, can be through SharePoint itself. Every time a document is edited, a new version will be created. There isn't a, a rule of thumb with the exact criteria of how 
when new content is added to a document or when a new version is created. But ultimately, from testing that I've been doing and so on, it is pretty much very small amounts of changes can be made to a document to cause a version to be created. From an e-discovery standpoint, when we're looking at collecting versions, it can cause many downstream issues. For example, as I mentioned previously, every single change that you make to a document is going to create a new version. And if you have 500 versions as a limit, you could be collecting not just the one document, but an additional 500 versions with that document as well. That can cause downstream issues because from a review perspective, you're only going to really care about the, the specific versions that you're after that contain the, the relevant information not every single variation of a specific document. What's also worth noting is that if you have a legal hold that is created on a OneDrive or on a SharePoint site that is there to preserve data, the actual the limit on the number of versions is ignored. So that will continue to above the 500, or which is the default, above the 50,000, which is the max, that will continue to create versions, which of course will cause downstream e-discovery issues. Yeah, that's scary because if you're if you have a lot of cases where you put something up, somebody on hold and it's there for years, that obviously means there's lots and lots of versions that could be created. Kiriaki, from a legal perspective, from a lawyer perspective, what are what are some of the issues just dealing with the versions that you're gonna have to deal with in a in a litigation or investigation? So from a practical perspective, I think Matt hit the first one, which is just the volume, right? You're increasing the volume that you're gonna need to collect, host, review. And that's just something you need to start baking into your workflow, into your budgets. And that's just a practical application. And and then the other challenge, I think, is a lot trickier, right? And so with versioning, you have to actually think about the privilege issue here. With each edit, how are you going to identify the version the attorney reviewed and edited? How are you going to claim that privilege? So I think versioning really complicates the privilege review and is creating additional risk that you need to be aware of. Yeah, and I can see that particularly where you have lawyers very much involved with the business, like a contract negotiation or whatever, it's going to be a nightmare. I just want to talk about a few of, I think, the limitations that we've seen that I think Microsoft is trying to address. Matt, could you explain a little bit about in terms of placing versions on hold and and what what they should be thinking about when they're when they're placing SharePoint Online on hold and dealing with the versionings? Yeah, so of course, as, as I mentioned before, when a when a SharePoint site is placed on hold and and you know that limit of number of versions that are created, it's worth noting that those versions are are moved to what's called the preservation hold library within within the SharePoint site. That area is not accessible by users, but it is accessible by Microsoft's e-discovery tools. Now, versions before you create a legal hold on a SharePoint site, versions are not typically searchable using keywords, and it's, it's important to note there that. There's a point there around using keywords. So Microsoft's e-discovery tools cannot search versions typically using the standard settings. However, after you enable a legal hold on a SharePoint site, because those new versions are moved to the preservation hold library, those versions are now keyword searchable. So you will, of course, when you're running your collections across a SharePoint site, it will be targeting that preservation hold library and it will be able to run your keywords across that. Now, Going forward, of course, uh, it is worth noting that Microsoft does also have the ability, if you, let's say, for example, you have a SharePoint site or a OneDrive, you've only just applied your legal hold to it, but you also want to make sure that you can search or you can collect previous versions before you've applied that hold. Now, that is possible. 
using the Microsoft's eDiscovery Premium product through the ability to collect versions along with the documents that have been returned from a collection. Now you can't, it won't, it won't like I said before, you won't be able to run keywords across those versions, but if you were to collect a specific document, the latest version, you could then add the option to collect all historical versions as well. And that doesn't require a legal hold to be in place. There is one additional setting as well that can be configured for the eDiscovery Premium product, and that will allow you to go back and enable the ability to search historical versions on SharePoint sites within, within your tenant. Now, this is a currently a feature that is in preview at the moment, so it is subject to change and the functionality is subject to change, but it does allow you to go back and actually select up to 100 SharePoint sites in your tenant to uh, activate those historical versions to be searchable. And, and so I guess the, the bottom line is, and that's only with, well, they call it a premium now, it used to be advanced e-discovery or I guess an E5 license. But if you, it sounds like though, if you have core, you really have to be careful about versions by making sure you're preserving it and collecting it because there could be a gap there. That's right. Yeah. So the, the Microsoft standard, what used to be core, now called standard, cannot collect versions in, in that sense, other than the preservation hold library. Justin, I know another issue that, that Microsoft's been dealing with or trying to deal with is the recycle bin. Could you explain what the recycle bin is and what the challenge is for e-discovery with the recycle bin at SharePoint Online? Yeah, sure. So the recycle bin, as you, as you might assume, is an area where just like your, your local desktop, if you delete something, right, it falls into this recycle bin area where for a period of time, you can actually restore it if you deleted the document by mistake. And so the challenge here that this kind of introduces is kind of interesting because, you know, there's a lot of areas with email that you can delete and there's kind of this like a flow where the data goes through this deletion area and that if you need to collect it now for the downstream activity, the eDiscoveries tools can, can collect it, no problem. But that's not the case with the SharePoint recycle bin. Unless the data has been preserved through retention or through a legal hold, the data is not available to collect from the recycle bin. It's just a limitation that, that Microsoft has. And this is something they recognize as a problem that they have a, on their roadmap. They have a, an item there that shows that they are tr working against resolving that. But until that is resolved, there is no way to collect directly from a recycle bin if there is no retention or preservation in place for that site. And, and then, so Justin, that means, and I think in the recycle bin, is it 90 days that, so after someone deletes something from a SharePoint online, it'll go in the recycle bin. Is it 90 days that it's sort of in the recycle bin before it goes away completely? It's actually a couple of days longer. It's, it's 93 days, which is an odd number of days, but yes, approximately 90 days, something will last in the recycle bin. There are multiple stages of the recycle bin. There's what's called a you know, the recycle bin and the uh, second stage recycle bin. And irregardless of where it is in those recycle bins, it is a total of 90 days across them both. So during that period, they can though restore it, right? And if they restore the data, at that point, you can actually collect it with the eDiscoveries tools. So it's just a risk that, that people have to be aware of and maybe come up with a workflow depending on the case and like. So Kiriaki, the, sort of the final thing I wanna talk about is, it's just to understand the importance of SharePoint Online and, and from any discoveries perspective, you know, why it's specifically gonna be important 
for people to start identifying SharePoint Online's for preservation, sort of, sort of the proactive preservation. Because I think most people, and we talked about this in prior podcasts, because you're going to have the ability to do auto deletion in SharePoint Online, which is going to be great. You know, you can identify records, auto delete after a certain amount of time, and it's going to be auto deletion. That's very different from what we deal with now, where you put it in a file server and everyone just assumes it's there forever. But you obviously, that means that you're going to have to sort of proactively find these SharePoint Online sites and actually put them on hold. What are, what are your thoughts on just how do we how do we deal with this new world of auto-deletion in SharePoint Online? Yeah, so first, there are a couple of reasons why you want to start thinking about proactive preservation, right? So we have the, the volume, the versioning, the increase in data. You have the increase of SharePoint Online sites because it's created for every Teams channel. And now you're adding into the mix auto deletion, which means faster than than ever before, you need to have a handle on what data is relevant for your matter. So you have to actually start moving up the question of what to preserve earlier in your case planning. You can't rely on on non-deletion. You can't say, well, I'll I'll get to it later as I learn more about the matter. So there are a couple of tools I think people can, can use, right? One is interviewing custodians, either as part of regular fact interviews or specific interviews on data sources, but asking questions about non-custodial data sources and specifically about SharePoint Online. Finding out what SharePoints do they use, what Teams channels, and, and getting that information early in the process. For cases that are already active, you also may want to start surveying some of the some of the custodians, right? Maybe not for every active matter that you have, But if you've already gone to SharePoint Online at some point during the life of this active matter, you might want to go back to some of the custodians to make sure that you are collecting all the data that is relevant. And again, not every SharePoint Online is going to be relevant for your matter. So you you have decisions to make, but you want to know that those things exist earlier. And also work with IT partners. Can you get lists of who has access to SharePoint Online? Again, you're not going to put every site a user has access to on legal hold, but you want to know they exist. You want to be able to make smart, informed decisions earlier in the process. Well, thanks. There's obviously a lot to digest there. Thanks, Kiriaki, Matt, and Justin. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And obviously, we encourage you to, to come back and listen to future podcasts. Thanks a lot. Bye. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.